the candy shop. We speaking on things you not. Just press play and let it rock. Welcome to the candy shop. Welcome to the candy shop. We speaking on things you not. Just press play and let it rock. Welcome to the candy shop. Feel like we going through mad things. Gotta keep it real when they choose not. We gon' talk about it when the news drop. Welcome to the show where you know we don't fake this. Keep your opinion to yourself if it don't make sense. Hola, podcast family. It is your girl, Candidly Kristen, and this is The Candid Shop, your number one destination for candid conversations. I am super duper excited to be having a candid chat with author, entrepreneur, mom, proud lesbian, and host of the Life and Love in the Q podcast, Miss Jillian Abbey. Welcome, 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 Jillian, to The Candid Shop. Thank you so much, Kristen. I'm so excited to be here because you are one of my favorite voices in podcasting. Not only the messages you cover, but I don't know how to describe your voice. It's comforting like butter, but also has that rasp <laughs> to it. So it's raspy butter and I love it. Oh my God. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use that in some promos, my raspy butter. I love it. Thank yeah, you so much. Like that makes that makes no sense, but you know what? That's it makes what you feel perfect like to me, sense. and I love it. I love, I love it. that you love it. I was when I started this podcast journey. Honestly, I did not know how my voice would come across to people. I'm often mistaken for a man on the phone. I get called sir all the time, so I was like, I don't know if mm. I've got the voice for it. But so far, so good. People seem to have the general opinion that I have a really soothing voice. My children, I guess, didn't think so. They don't think it's soothing at all. So, well, and, I mean, they're a different audience. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jillian, our chat, this chat that we're having today, is going to be one in a series of chats that I am planning to do about LGBTQI plus issues, and I'm trying to have these chats with the people who live and are impacted by certain issues and those who could use just a little more awareness and understanding about it. So I really appreciate you joining me today. I really, really do. Back at you. I think we need to have these conversations. Absolutely. So let's just get to it. So listen, you've been, let me see if I got all of your, your things. You've been a CPA, a licensed massage therapist, craft beer bar owner, creative copyright writer, Black Belt Martial Artist, Homeschooling Parent, and Podcast Host. I mean, talk about reinvention on steroids. Yes. But tell, I think I'll be tell, a trapeze lady next. Okay, I'm with it. I support you wholeheartedly. But tell me, who is Jillian Abbey now? Well, that's a great question. And it's something that I think I am still trying to figure out, but I am getting more and more comfortable with every day. I actually, when I was thinking about this morning and doing a little bit of writing, I said that I feel like my life's a bit like bungee jumping. (laughs) I kind of, you know, at 38 years old, I had a craniosacral therapy session. And that was really the first time in my life where I could not only admit that I was a lesbian, but accept that I was and love that part of myself. And so I took a little bit of pause and then bungee jumped into that identity wholeheartedly. 
but like a real bungee jump, you kind of spring back a little bit and mm-hmm. then and then you'll bounce back down into it. And so I feel like over the past several years, it's been this process of discovering a little bit more, playing a lot, playing around a little bit more with my identity and really figuring out what feels comfortable and what feels best and truest and right to me. And it's not as easy as we think it is. I know there's so many memes out there that are like, uh, yeah. just be yourself, but it's right. not that easy. Right, right. And because I think all of us, hetero, homo, non-binary, are multi-layered beings. There are, yes. there are we're, we're different. There are different parts of us, but that make up the sum of who we are. So I get that completely. So yeah. talk to me a little bit briefly about your journey to living your most authentic life coming out in in that journey? Sure. Well, so the title of my memoir that's coming out is Perfectly Queer. Mm -hmm. There's two kind of reasons to that. One is that I am perfectly comfortable and, and so happy in my queer identity. But the other piece of that is that I am a lifelong perfectionist. Mm. And so from a, and that played a tremendous role in shaping who I was or how I wanted to be seen as a person. So from a very young age, I was an achievement junkie. I think Mm -hmm. from about fourth fourth grade or so, I, I was like, thought I had peaked in my life because I had danced with a major ballet company and I got paid $15 a show and I thought I was rich by fourth grade standards. Right. But yeah, so, you know, looking back on my life and all these stages, I was always looking to do more and better. And I really wanted to make my parents proud and my family proud. And and not that I didn't love what I was doing, but it also was never enough. It was never, it was never quite perfect. I was setting goals for myself of things that weren't really achievable and attainable. And so I think the interesting thing about my life is I got into adulthood. Obviously, you mentioned my twisty, turny career path from (laughs) certified public accountant to licensed massage therapist to craft beer bar owner and everything in between. I was always I was always seeking. I was always Mm -hmm. looking for that little bit more that like this will make me feel whole. This will make right. me feel complete. This is who I am. And and so looking back at my life, I just realized how much my life is a series of, well, maybe this is who I am. Well, maybe this right. is who I am and trying things on for size. Got it. Really, though, ignoring who I knew I was inside, trying to be anything but, but. the label of <laughs> lesbian or queer. Right. Like I will be right. anything. You can go, I will audit a coal mine in Alabama. Just don't call me a lesbian. <laughs> it, it wasn't until I could really get to the core of myself and say, hey, you know what? This is you and that's okay. That's fine. That's actually great. And right. we love this part. Then all of the other pieces in my life seem to start to fall together. So now still mom of two kids, though they're not being right. homeschooled anymore, but I am such a better mom to them because I mm. feel more whole. I left the craft beer bar that I owned with my ex-husband and said, okay, I need to find a new source of income and kind of fell into writing. And that's, okay. this has been a dream job. Mm. But finding myself, finding the life that really was most 
perfect. And I say that using quotes because right. what is perfect really I had to start with myself. It wasn't going to come right. from an outside source. Right. So what would you say for you was the absolute hardest part about your coming out, your coming to awareness? I don't even, I, every time I say coming out, I, I hate it. I hate the term. I, we need a better one. I just don't well, know what that is, but it's what we yeah. got. So what was the hardest part for you? Cause I've, you know, you, I've heard a bunch of, my sister is a lesbian who came out in her 30s. She has two mm -hmm. children who are adults now and grandchildren. So in conversations with her, I'm always interested to know what was the hardest part for each individual person. And since I'm talking to you, what was the hardest part for you? I think the hardest part for me was that I very much loved my husband. And I know that's probably hard for people to understand, but I think I'm actually so grateful that we're having this conversation because there's a lot of people when I came out who had the misconception that I was coming out because I was in midlife. It must be a crisis. I'm mm -hmm. bored. I've mm -hmm. been in my marriage 20 years. I just want something new, fun, and exciting. Got it. When the reality is I knew that I was attracted to, um, to girls, women, right. uh, since, you know, third grade is my earliest memory, but I didn't have a word to put with it. Right. Once, once I finally had that craniosacral therapy session where I accepted myself, I knew, unfortunately, at that point that there was no turning back. Now that that piece of me had fit into the puzzle. Right. I was going to have to figure out what my husband and I would do. And like I said, he is a wonderful man. He's a wonderful human being. We had a great relationship, you know, in, in nearly all aspects, but it right. wasn't, it wasn't the same full loving relationship that I saw from other couples and definitely didn't have the same type of romantic connection as other got couples it, as well. It. So to know that I had to put myself first and my needs first ahead yep. of him and my family was gut-wrenching. And I think that's why it took me so long to come out. Okay. It's a big process. Right. And then, and then obviously too, like the, the judgment that comes along with it as well. I thought kind of naively that once marriage equality was passed in the United States in 2015, I thought, oh, things are good for the gays. We're right, all equal right, right. now. <laughs> Yes, Not right. So right. And, you know, because at the same time, too, the, the groups that I surrounded myself with, the, the things that I read, all fed into that narrative of, yep, we're all good. It's all equal. And I know we're still hearing a lot of that narrative towards mm -hmm. a lot of marginalized communities today. Yep. It was very eye opening for me to come out, especially because I, I came out kind of quietly in 2019. And then you know, far more publicly in 2020 okay. to realize how much discrimination still happens against LGBTQ people, okay. to realize that they are still always fighting just for equal rights, for the right to have an EMT mm. treat you if you're in an accident, that that's still being debated in states if EMTs should be able to opt out of helping queer people. Really? Yeah. It's, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot that I've 
learned along the way where I said, wow, I just didn't even realize this was a thing right. until I was in it. Yeah. And so honestly, there's a big part of me, I'm an introvert. And so there is a huge part of me that just kind of wants to crawl under a weighted blanket and live my happy queer life quietly um, with me and my partner. And then there's another part of me that says, but people have to know. And the yeah. fact that I have the privileged perspective of having walked life in heterosexual shoes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then now I have the perspective of what it is like to go through life as a queer person. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's important to highlight those differences so that other people say, oh, I didn't realize maybe that that was still an issue. Right. So wow. that's part of my mission and journey right now through awesome. you know, my own blog and podcast and telling my story. Yes. So I was poking around your site, which I love, by the way, and I ran across a couple terms that I was not 100% familiar with and I wanted to chat with you about. The first one was compulsory heterosexuality. Yeah. I was like, what's that about? Is I that said the same thing. I and it's actually a term that originated in the 1970s, I believe. Okay. Adrian Rich is one of the first people that's credited with that term. But Compulsory heterosexuality, or compet, as the cool okay. kids call it, okay. <laughs> is just the thought that we are raised believing that everyone is heterosexual or, or raising our children as if they're automatically heterosexual. Got it. And going back to your comment about why you don't like the term coming out, and a lot of people feel kind of prickly when it comes to the term coming mm -hmm, out. I've heard mm -hmm. letting in is a nicer term, but people wouldn't have to come out if right. we didn't have compulsory heterosexuality, because that just is the assumption that everyone is straight unless they come out otherwise. Got it. Okay. And so, you know, I think back to growing up and kind of the things that play into this. And it's just how we talk to children about, oh, well, when you grow up, you'll have a wife or you'll have a husband or mm -hmm. how we tell, you know, preteen teen girls that, oh, you're going to be so boy crazy. Right. And there's a lot of messaging that we have that's not meant to be harmful in any way, but it just reaffirms the idea that you're a straight person. You're a right. straight person. Right. And that, that works. That's the normal way to be and anything outside of that is not normal. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it, it kind of feeds into, I don't want to say homophobia because it's not necessarily a fear of gay people or same-sex relationships, but it's, it's like a heterosexism or it's a bias against mm -hmm. the queer identity that it's, that it's not optimal, that it's not even equal. It's kind of a, a less than. Oh, that's bad. Um, okay. Yeah. And so when I raise my kids now, I'm trying to be much more conscious of how compulsory heterosexuality appears in our lives. And that includes just conversations about instead of, instead of gendering everything to, well, when you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you know, when you find someone that you're interested in dating, mm -hmm. um, if you find somebody that you want to marry using the term spouse instead mm -hmm. of you know, when you have a husband or when you have a wife, right. but it pops up even, you know, the kids and I it were we love playing board games and mm -hmm. we were playing the game of life. Mm -hmm. And 
even just the fact that you have your pink pegs and you have your blue pegs. Mm -hmm. And then the first stop is marriage and you're supposed to put in the peg of the opposite color. Right. Just kind of like there are are two boxes of how you of how you categorize people and here's how they're supposed to go together. So my daughter always ends up throwing a cat in the car instead. She's like, I just want to be a Good. single cat lady the rest of my life. I'm like, okay, honey, <laughs> let that be your thing. Right, right. Well, thank you for kind of breaking that down for me. And once you started talking about it, the words compulsory and heterosexuality, like I get those together. I know what compulsory is, you know what I mean? But I, I guess I wasn't consciously aware of how it shows up just in the toys that you buy your children the clothes that you that you buy for them when they're young if they're a boy versus if they're a girl and how that just comes to you like you don't think about it it's like okay it's a girl we're going to get her you know pinks and purples and pastels and stuff like that so it is very in kind of ingrained in our thinking so thank you for explaining that now the second term yeah. was identity mm-hmm. discovery gap I thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. So break ah, that yes. down for me. <laughs> yes. This is something that I've learned recently. And the woman who I co-host my podcast with is a fascinating woman. She's a Mormon mother of six. She also has her PhD in family identities and women's studies. And so she introduced me to this term of identity discovery gap. And okay. basically, it's it's looking at ourselves like three points of a triangle. No, I'm not okay. up this definition. She says everything far more eloquently, but there's our should or ought to be self. That's the okay. identity that I leaned into very heavily as a perfectionist. Who should I be? Okay. How, how do my parents want to see me? How does the world want to see me? So right. there's that self. There is our ideal self, which is what do we really want to be? What do we want to have our, what do we want to be known for, known as, how do we want to be perceived? And then the last piece is who we actually are. Got it. And so the size of the identity discovery gap is how big a difference there is between what society or the people around you, what you think you should or ought to be, who you Mm -hmm. want to really be and who you are. And Uh. so for me, that gap was actually the largest in my life, not when I was entirely closeted. Right. But once I came out to myself and said, okay, I'm a lesbian, but I had not yet come out to my husband. Okay. Or anyone else at that point with you. My identity discovery gap was blown wide open because now lesbian didn't fit into my should and ought to. I still even wasn't really it it was my ideal self that I could get comfortable in my lesbian identity and and live my life as such and be in a relationship with a woman but then who I was was just a liar (laughs) (laughs) I knew who I was inside and every single day that I had to face my husband my children the people around me knowing that I was one way and then having to put on this facade of Mm -hmm. everything is okay everything is fine my outsides and insides were so incongruent Mm -hmm. that there was this 
huge gap in my life. And unfortunately, the larger that gap is, it starts to lead to some self-destructive behaviors. And so I found myself having insomnia and drinking whiskey on the rocks far more than I probably should have and not eat and kind of slipping into a very unhealthy mental state because life was such a mismatch. So I'm so glad you brought up that term because I don't think it's discussed very much. And I think for a lot of people, it would help again, kind of add some pieces to the puzzle of like, why am I getting into this, these self-destructive behaviors, Mm -hmm. harmful behaviors? It may be that your inside world and your outside world are, are so far apart that this is your body's response to it until you can Mm -hmm. figure out ways through setting goals, realizing that you have agency and pathways to move towards those goals. That's how you start closing the gap and bringing everything closer together. Got it. That was interesting because that is, (laughs) listen, it's, but it's relevant no matter what your sexual orientation is. As I think that even heterosexual people have those, those three points on the triangle that they need to kind of bring into harmony so that they yeah. can be their best, most authentic self. So I like that. I'm those I right. I was all we over all your website. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Every single person needs to make sure they and tighten actually, up their identity gap. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. They, we just yes. need to tighten it up. Yeah. <laughs> tighten it up. Do your identity discap gap sizes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. But I think that the most interesting thing in in talking to my co-host about it when she told me this idea is that perfectionists in our society, it's not so much a queer thing, it's perfectionists that oftentimes have the largest identity discovery gaps. So if you have a friend out there who seems like they have it all together, mm-hmm. they're the ones you need to check in with and say, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh <laughs> that's me. I'm the friend because I'm a huge perfectionist. And you know, I am I'm I call myself a reform perfectionist now because now mm-hmm. I I let things go and I don't, you know, I put them out there whether they're absolutely perfect in my mind or not. It's just what it is. So I lived the better part of my 55 years in that space of perfectionism. And that had a lot to do with the people that raised me and their expectations and all that kind of stuff. But anywho, I want to talk a little bit about your book, your soon to be released memoir, Perfectly Queer, which by the way, I stole the title of your book for this show. Okay. Talk to me about the why of it, the why of your book and who you wrote it for or to, like when they read it. That is a great question. Why did I write this book? Honestly, to begin with, I had no idea. I started <laughs> journaling as kind of a therapy file. Oh, coming out seemed stranger than fiction to me. The only way I could make sense of it was to put it down on paper. Coincidentally, around that same time, I met a group of women who were all interested in writing. And so we started sharing a little bit of just what we were writing down. And so I thought, you know what, these are all straight women, they're all in marriages, they're not going to have any interest in the hot mess dumpster fire of my life right now. But I shared, I shared my writing with them and they were, this is really good. And, and they said, I want to know more. And I was like, really? Okay, <laughs> sure. I'll write some more. And I wrote more and I shared more and they said, I think you need to turn this into a book. And I kind of went, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whatever. 
Right. Now, can I end? I ended up, uh, obviously, I... You yeah. turned it into a book, and I'm, I can't wait to read it. But can I ask real quick before you go on, this group of women, were they LGBTQI mm-hmm. plus or heterosexual or a combination of? 100% heterosexual. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is okay. why I thought, yeah, this is why I thought in my mind, like, okay, so I could write a book for women who come out later in life. And all 12 of us in the United States could get together and read it. I thought the market, I thought the market was so small for anyone who would be interested in a story like this, that it oh wasn't God. worth putting my story out there. Oh. What I've realized, though, the more that I've shared my story, again, through speaking on podcasts and through blogging and, and TikTok in various ways, is that there are so many people out there who feel alone right now. Mm-hmm. And while a lot of the people who who share private messages with me are from the LGBTQ plus community, there's also the second ring around them of family members or children or friends who say, hey, you know what, this person in my life just came out and I don't understand it. Or right. they're questioning their gen they're questioning their gender. I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. But they want to. I really right. believe that there's so many people who want to be able to feel love for mm-hmm. their family members, their friends, their neighbors, but they just don't understand. Right. And so really then the goal of my book became that I just want to start these conversations that I feel like maybe have been taboo in the past or yeah. subjects that people are or questions that people have been afraid to ask. I wanted mm-hmm. to start creating spaces where people could ask the questions about things that they were truly curious about. Okay. And really, so that was the motivation for me to write the book was that so no other person had to feel as alone in their process as I did. Got it. When is oh, your book coming? It comes out April 25th of 2023 for Lesbian Visibility Week. That okay. giant holiday that everyone celebrates, Lesbian okay. Visibility Week. Okay. We, we go quiet like ninjas the rest of the year. <laughs> so that week was so big. And oh. so, yeah, I'm excited for it to come out then. And when I was thinking about who might read this book, obviously it is for, it. I think, I hope so much with anyone who has come out later in life. But okay. I think there is the bigger overarching theme of the fact that we all have pieces of ourselves or parts of ourselves that we struggle with, that we struggle to love either because our community tells us that it's not okay or our society tells us it's not okay or we just judge the heck out of ourselves and we mm-hmm. think it's not okay. Right. And so right. This, this is kind of stored up me stepping back and saying, well, what if, what if I did become a lesbian and what could happen in my life. And so often too, I think we talk about, we immediately go into the hardship of everything that could go bad when we have to make these major life changes. And of course I knew I would have to go through a divorce. I knew that I would have to figure out another way to support myself. I knew that I would probably have to stop homeschooling my kids. There were a lot of changes that were going to have to happen just by me changing this piece of my identity. But where I think a lot of people forget is that we also have a whole life to live ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And so and lots of good things. 
story focuses all yes. And so the story focuses also on the long term of yes, the, there were a lot of really hard things in the short term. And there have right. been some of the most incredible things that are starting to unfold in the long term, like me winning the contest from Hay House Publishing for my book, Perfectly Queer. I never thought I would actually get a book into the world had I not won this contest. I don't know if I would have had the guts to put my story out there because it is very vulnerable. It's very personal. Yes. So I, yes. I'm, I'm grateful that that opportunity with Hay House fell into my lap. And I'm grateful mm -hmm. that while they've always been very supportive of the LGBTQ plus community, this is one of their first if not their first LGBTQ subject matter book. Got and it. so they haven't had a lot of books that have really talked about queer subject matter. And now I've got queer splashed across the front, All rainbow colors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going big into it. So I'm, I, you know, I'm really grateful for that as well. I think there are, I hope there are a lot of people who feel seen in this story. And if nothing else, I hope that they just get a good laugh because I am, a bit quirky and that comes through strongly in my writing so i love it i i personally cannot wait i want an autographed one so you know you got want, it scratchy butter here is yes. your autographed copy yes and i my intention is to release this episode during that period of time that week so that it can kind of coincide with the release of your memoir and hopefully you know some of my listeners who are struggling with their identity can find some some hope, some help, and just realize that it's going to be okay. Um, I love that. Yeah, I, that's my goal. My goal is always to put good stuff out into the world, and this book and you, my dear, are good stuff. So mm. I am a member of the heterosexual community. I'm a cis woman, if that's what they call them now. And I'm always interested, because they're, I'm 55, so there are a lot of things that I personally don't mm -hmm. understand. I remember when it was just LGB and then it was LGBT and then it was Q and I, and I'm like, okay, I'd like to understand more. So my question to yep. you, Julian, is how can people like me, allies or hope to be allies of the LGBTQI plus community best support and advocate for you and your community? I love that. Thank you so much for asking. I honestly think that that listening to other people's stories is one of the best ways that we can learn, change our perceptions on things. I live in the state of Florida and so there is a lot of there's a lot of emotion and a lot of feelings around the LGBTQ community right now particularly the trans community, mm -hmm. particularly trans children. Okay. And it's a challenge it's a challenge because I know that there are I have friends who have trans children and I know that right now they're very scared to identify themselves as parents of trans children. It's a big risk in the state wow. and they don't want to expose their child. But there are there are blogs, there are movies, there are books where you can hear from the trans community and get to understand a little bit more what it's like to be trans and what they're going through. And I think that just hearing those stories can help 
dispel some of the fears and misconceptions mm-hmm. that we have. I, I'm going to be honest, trans for me, I couldn't wrap my brain around it. I've always mm-hmm. felt like a woman. I've always felt okay. like a girl. Right. So the thought of growing up and saying, well, what would it feel like if I thought I was a boy, but in this body that I have? I don't know. It's right. not an experience that I can necessarily understand on a personal level. Right. However, that's why I've made it my mission to speak to as many different trans people as possible and non-binary people to understand what does that feel like for you? What does non-binary feel like? I can't. Right. right. I don't, you know, so you tell me. And then when I hear their story, it just, it, it makes me realize that, you know what, there's, we don't always have to understand the how or why behind everyone but if we can still see the humanity in them Mm -hmm. then we have less to fear and i think where we are right now is losing a lot of our humanity so that's my long answer the short answer is connect with other humans especially ones that aren't like you Mm -hmm. to see the humanity in them yeah yeah it's it 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 parallels so much of the bipoc or people of color experience Mm -hmm. in that you people feared something because they didn't really take the time to have a conversation with somebody whose skin color or ethnicity was different. Cause once you do and you realize, you know, they love their kids, they love their family, they love their job, they love their community, just the same. It kind of removes some of the barriers to, to understanding. So yeah, I get that completely. We also start to realize that we, when we don't know things, that we fill in the blanks of the stories. Mm. And so mm. there's a lot when it comes to the BIPOC community where things that people didn't know, they just filled it in with assumptions of what yeah. they thought things were like. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, and that includes now too conversations around, around racism and how that still persists. It's like we need mm. to hear these stories. We hear directly from the person of, Here's how I'm still impacted by it. Right. Because otherwise, you know, like I said, we we just create stories. Yeah, yeah we fill in okay. the blanks. That's what we do. That's what we do. But what kinds of yeah. things should or shouldn't hetero folks say or do in their interactions with their LGBTQI plus friends or family? Like you never wanna say the wrong thing or even even in your earnest like attempt at understanding and i know there's no like bullet list of okay say this say this don't ever say that but i some kind of guideline that you could give to me in interactions with the lgbtqi plus community especially as it pertains to friends or family members because i it's a struggle sometimes. Like with my sister, it wasn't because honestly, nobody was surprised when she came out. So we all were kind of like, oh, thank God you finally realized it. But <laughs> but for other people, yeah. you know, it can be a struggle in communicating and connecting. So what are some tips for that, ma'am, please? Yeah. And thank you. <laughs> I think I think the best thing is to always approach with curiosity. And really, before you ask the question, make sure that you are not expecting a certain answer to it. Ah, So, 
you know, I, I, I've had, <laughs> I wish I could give a bullet point of terminology, but the reality is that our words and how we say things are evolving so rapidly right now. Yeah. And what one yeah. person is sensitive to another person isn't. So right. I, I think the best thing or maybe a better approach is just to say, you know, in terms of like, say they're bringing their same sex partner to a, a family event, like, how would you like to, you know, is this your girlfriend? Is this your partner? How would you like us to refer to right. okay. uh, your other half? Right. People used to ask a lot of assumptive questions of me like oh well you must be bisexual because you were married oh. to a man instead of what made you come to the realization that you're a lesbian or why do you feel like you're a lesbian or I'm, I'm having a hard time with with questions right off the bat but I think right taking whatever question you have and and seeing like if you could be a drone if you could take it up one level and make it a little bit more general mm -hmm. how could you ask it in an open and loving way I will say there are a few terms that do feel particularly prickly to me. One okay. is when I hear about my lifestyle, okay. because I think when we refer to it in that way, like there's not a lot of things that we call a lifestyle besides like, oh, your child plays travel softball. That's a lifestyle. Right, or like, right. oh, salt, like, that's a lifestyle. Right. Uh, but when you take the love that I feel another and you classify it as a lifestyle instead it, it again it others it from yeah. heterosexual love and the reality is it's the same we fight about the same things neither of us right. want to do the dishes after dinner Not, you know it's like so just I, I you know when I also have friends who say well can I say this or why is it wrong to say that and I say well let's mm -hmm. flip this on its hetero head if you said okay. this kind of thing to somebody in a heterosexual relationship, does it, it still feel okay to you? And, and one example I'll give of that is when I tell people I'm gay or, you know, and usually it's not me standing on the rooftop going, I'm right. a lesbian. It's just in conversation. It will come up. Somebody will right. say something about, you know, my husband and say, oh, it's, it's my, my wife, right. soon to be wife. Right. Uh, and then they'll say, oh, that's cool. You know, what you find closed doors is none of my business. <laughs> and so just to think about that in other terms, like, can you, if you, if you, your objects, you know, your boyfriend, your husband, your partner, you bring them to something and somebody comes up to you and says, it says to him like, oh, nice to meet you. You know, what you two do behind closed doors is none of my business. It's right. like, hold up. We weren't even, we're not talking about anything sexual here. Right. This is the person I'm dating. This is the person I love. So, you know, there's just things that we say to gay people now, like there's some sort of space alien. And it's like, we would never say that to a straight person. Yeah. So yeah. I also kind of like tell people that they can run it through that filter. Would you say that if, you know, if your daughter brought home a boyfriend instead of a girlfriend, what would you say to the boyfriend? Okay, you could also say that to the girlfriend yeah. in a lot of cases. Yeah. So yeah, that's my little lens of looking at things. Well, thank you. appreciate that. And I'm sure the people that are listening are taking notes like, okay, all right, I'm going to pivot a little <laughs> bit and talk sure. about your Ask Queer Abby on TikTok. Mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool. 
I want to know what one question or two questions are you asked the most on Ask Queer Abby? That's a great question. A really a pretty easy answer. So okay. what I what I get from most people, and again, a lot of people that follow me on TikTok are primarily women and non-binary people, especially those who've okay. come out later in life. Okay. But it's always why why is this happening to me now? Like, mm-hmm. why did I not know this sooner? And, you know, why is it that I have built this life around me that usually includes a spouse, a husband, mm-hmm. that includes children sometimes? And, and, and why is this part of me? Like, why can't I keep suppressing this anymore? <laughs> Got it. So, so it's, it's kind of, an e-common question and there's not a really easy answer to it. You know, you and I have talked about compulsory heterosexuality that plays Mm -hmm. a huge role in feeling like in shipping people to believe that they're straight, honestly, right? Right. Uh, or at least in my case it did, you know, we've talked about perfectionism and the role that that can play again in trying to live this identity that everyone wants us to have. There's again, there is, it's, there's nothing hard about being gay in and of itself, but society sometimes makes it hard to be gay. Yeah, and so there's yeah. the feelings of not wanting to other. If you have the option to not be othered, why would you choose an identity where you're going to be othered? And then for some people too, for women, especially sexuality has been, they've found that it can be far more fluid. So maybe mm-hmm. you were straight or maybe you right. were by sexual and that's pain and that's a really hard one too because right you know there's part of me that wishes I could go back to my high school self and my college self and say okay were you did you really want sex or or were you doing it performatively or is it just because you were you know a teenager and right right teenagers yeah like that's just you want sex and it doesn't I don't know so there's a lot of questions to it and and again like we started the podcast there's so many layers as well and I guess where I go back to as does the why does looking back and ruminating on the past and spinning out about all those signs and signals at this point or do we just say well this is who I know myself to be now And how do I move forward with that? Awesome. 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 So, ma'am, I would like for you, as we kind of wrap up the formal part of our chat, before we get to the fun part, to give Mm -hmm. my listeners that will hear this, those who may be unsure of their identity, struggling with their identity and ways to move into a new identity your last thoughts and best advice to them. And part two of that is to the hetero folks who will hear this, who have friends or family who are struggling with their identity or in the LGBTQI plus community, last thoughts for them. So it's a two-parter. Yeah. And actually my answer is going to go back to the same thing because I really think I spend a lot of time thinking about this and about our human purpose and why we're Mm -hmm. all here on this earth. 
And honestly, and, and what makes us happy and what are our happiest moments and when do we feel most whole? And it almost always seems to come back to love mm -hmm. and finding love for ourselves and finding love for others. And I know that that is a very meme like simplistic answer <laughs> that takes far too, but, but really is one of the investments we can make in our who are different from us where mm -hmm. we may struggle to love them and, and finding the ways that we can find those common threads and that we can still find love for them. There are so many of us who make the human experience so much harder for other people <laughs> just because yeah. we come from a place of fear instead of love. Yeah. And so yeah. I don't know. Love just feels good. But in with that said, I always have to remind myself daily, if not hourly, especially when I'm on social media <laughs> and somebody posts something crabby, one of them right. with like the biggest zinger, like, Jill, show this person some love. Okay, they're having a hard right. time with this. They're obviously in a very scared place. Mm -hmm. So what is the what is the most loving thing you can do right now and sometimes it's just giving them space as well yeah yeah awesome. Thank you <laughs> especially so the much protesters that. that i just ran into oh. and cried i was like and, oh no yeah I, and you know what i do have one other thought in your opinion just your personal opinion why do you think mm -hmm. homophobia is still in 2023, as rampant as it is, like, what is the fear, like the core fear that people who are homophobic have? I think about this often, and I wish I knew the answer. I think mm. it's a community that is an easy target in mm. some ways. Okay. I think yeah. there's a lot of queer people who are just trying to live their lives and mm -hmm. when we can distill down the queer identity to sex, then it can feel like something very taboo or scandalous or dirty. And again, it's not sex is part of the queer identity. For me, my identity comes down to love and who right. I, I love and feel most connected to. And again, too, I... Gosh, I wish we had another hour podcast. I would love I to share with you a conversation I just had. I had a, a school admin, administrator warn me recently when I said my kids were starting at a new school. She warned me about the gay agenda at the new school, not realizing, obviously, that I was a lesbian. Right, right. But, but, but we actually had a great talk through it. And I said, listen, can we just get to all of these debates are so focused on if queer people should be allowed to exist and exist in the same way as other people. And I said, that's the wrong conversation. Okay. We all know the fact that queer people exist. We know that queer kids exist. We know that queer mm -hmm. teens exist. And right. so her particular point that she, she was concerned that gay sex was being taught in middle school and high school. Uh. And I said, well, are we teaching straight sex? I mean, right. I remember learning that. Afraid. <laughs> yep. And she's like, teaching sex. Your issue isn't with the queer people. It's they're um, too explicit in the acts that they're teaching. But it doesn't mm. actually have anything to do with the queer identity. 
And I said, you know what? We both know that queer kids are out there. And I think that queer kids should be offered the same access to know how to protect themselves from a sexual health perspective. That's straight allowed as well. And that was the point where we could at least come together and see eye to eye and say, you know what? All kids should know how to keep themselves healthy and safe and protected. But we wouldn't have gotten there from the separate corners that we started at at the beginning of the conversation. (laughs) Got it. You know, so homophobia is a hard one because there's a lot of people who are at such opposition to each other that even sitting down at the table to have that conversation, we still don't have opportunities for that. Thank you so much for doing this podcast because this is one of those ways that if nothing else, somebody could come away and say, Jillian Abbey is a total rainbow fruitcake who doesn't know what she's talking about. And sure, me. But at the same time, if if you listen to a little bit of it, and at least you went, huh, right. or you're at least a little bit more curious to try and learn more. Great. Right. Fabulous. Yep. Let's continue the conversation then it was worth it. Absolutely. And I probably just offended a million people by calling myself a fruitcake. That's that's how I self-ID. Okay. And you can do that because you can ID as however you (laughs) want. I appreciate you so much for there is, I could, this could go on for hours, like literally. And which is part of why I'm having different chats with different people. I'm actually doing a chat in a few weeks with an author of a book called Jamie is Jamie. And it was written because Mm. her child is kind of identifies as non-binary and it's become a whole series. So I'm really excited for that, but just to start having these open and honest conversations and it's okay to say, I I don't understand like Mm -hmm. any of it. It's, it's really okay. Mm -hmm. The fact that you're listening and you're trying to understand is a, a huge baby step. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, Absolutely. thank you, Jillian. Now we get to do my favorite thing, and that is play 10 candid questions. So nervous. <laughs> no, don't be there. They're they're harmless. You know, excited. Um, this is great. It's fine. It's fine. Yes. So they are just 10 random questions and the only rule is that you have to answer them candidly. So you ready? Okay. All right. Sure First am. question is Whew. dogs or cats? Cats. Okay. I'm going to get a side one. eye from my fiance. <laughs> yeah, I'm a dog person. So, okay. I'm so allergic to cats, but I love them. I'm a, I'm a Leo, so I have to love cats, but I just can't own them. Yeah. What quote would you want put on your headstone? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's the, uh, such a hard one. I'm just going to say you you did it because my life is all about facing fears and doing what I never thought I could do. And I'm doing it. Yes. I oh, and then that. I died. You did it. You missed the end you of life. Where to be? I like that. Most people try to pull out something really profound, but you did it is perfect. Third question, coffee or tea? Coffee all day, every day. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. Next question. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would that thing be? Oh, gosh. And these are supposed to be quick and 
easy and I think quirky. Is that weird? I know it's a little weird, but I would like to be remembered for being quirky because I think to me that says that I made people look at something a little bit differently. And I love that. I love that. Quirky, queer, love it. All the keys. Quirky, um, yes. What's your favorite curse word? Fuck. <laughs> there was not even a hesitation literally, there. Literally everybody says that. It's mine too. So I know. Next. Do you want to know though? I couldn't swear until I came out as gay. And now everything is like fucking shit. Well, oh, damn. What I mean, I, I can string together every curse word that makes no sense. I do. But it always, it always starts with fuck. So, the F bomb. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yep. All right. What one thing do you think is missing most in the world? Humanity, mm. compassion. Love it. All right. Yeah. Morning person or night owl? Morning. I love a sunrise and the 8 p.m. hits, and I'm like, is it a, this acceptable bedtime? Because yes. I'm ready for bed. Listen, this is my thought on that. Whatever time. I feel tired is the acceptable bedtime. So 5 p.m., 6 p.m., yeah, I take it down. (laughs) Oh, man, I am in good company here with you, Kristen. (laughs) All right, next question. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Oh, I would love mind reading ability because I have such a hard time picking up on small cues from people Mm. i mean even you know you can hear in our conversation i have a hard time when there's like an appropriate social break in a conversation and so knowing what people are thinking would take out so much of the work of like did they finish their question am i supposed to happen now i love it i love it i didn't think that would be your answer but i love it what's one question you wished i'd asked you during our chat and how would you have answered? Oh, goodness. You ask such good <laughs> questions. You're a fab yeah. interviewer. Thank you. Yeah. I honestly, I don't know, Kristen. I think you nailed it. You're, awesome. I can't come up with any other thing that I would have wanted to talk about. You, you touched on all my favorite topics. Nice. Nice. That makes me so, feel good. Thanks. Thank you so much. All right. And the yeah. tenth and final question is, how can my listeners connect with you everywhere? How can they reach you? Okay, so my blog site is queerabby.com. You can also find me on TikTok as Ask Queer Abby. And then my book, is Perfectly Queer, is available from Hay House Publishing in the US, Canada, and the UK, anywhere, any major booksellers. But also, I would highly encourage you to check out your local indie bookstore and see if they can yes. order it for you to support small businesses. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Miss Jillian Abbey and guys, all of her links to her TikTok, her blog will be in the show notes. So no worries. You can click and go right there and ask whatever questions you want of Miss Abbey. On my website, queerabbey.com, there is an anonymous form too that people can fill out. So if they have a question, but they don't want to be identified, They can always fill it out that way. And then I will write a blog post or do a TikTok around it to let them know when their answer is available. Nice. See, guys, she's making it super easy. So you don't have any excuses now for being uninformed and uneducated because you can ask Abby. Okay. Queer Abby. Thank you so much. I, I can't even tell you how I have been 
trying to put together this series of chats surrounding LGBTQI plus community issues, concerns, advocacy, awareness. And it's taken me so long because I was really intentional and I wanted to do it in a way that honored you guys. So I am so glad you were my first chat, but certainly not my last. So thank you so much for sharing your time, your story, your thoughts with me and my listeners. I appreciate you so much. I love you, Kristen, and I thank you for having these candid conversations. Awesome. So guys, Abby's contact info will be in the show notes when the episode airs. And please don't forget to visit my site at www.thecandidshop.com. Candid with a K. Check out some episodes, subscribe, leave me a review. Please share the show with your family and friends. And until next time, I want you all to keep it safe, keep it healthy, and keep it candid. Candid.